to see each of you this morning, and especially our visitors. We want to express our pleasure at having you come and worship with us. It's always great to have visitors come, and we want you to feel that you're truly at home when you're in our church at worship. This evening, uh, Dewey Strange is entertaining the youth at the fairgrounds in the annual shiver party. I've never attended one of his shiver parties, but I hear they're great. It always conflicts with our evening service. But those of you who are youth and the parents of youth, I know you'll want to be out this evening for the shiver party. That's at eight at six o'clock this evening, and it will last until eight fifteen with a hayride, great food, and all the good things that go with it. Ah, do you said the right thing? Now, two weeks ago, he asked me about that last play down in Auburn, Alabama. But this morning, you see, there's a big smile when you answered that question. Tell you, that was about the most exciting game that, through which I have ever sat. And I did a lot of beating of my palms together to save my voice so that I wouldn't be hoarse this morning and couldn't preach a sermon. But uh, it was a, a great game. And hopefully, Dewey, you can get a smile out of me every Sunday morning for the rest of the season. Hear these words of the gospel from the prophet Isaiah. O Lord, thou art my God, I will exalt thee, I will praise thy name, for thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. For thou hast made of a city and heap, of a defensed city, a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city, it shall never be built. Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee, the city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. For thou hast been a strength to the poor, a strength to the needy in his distress, a refuge from the, the storm, a shadow from the heat, when the blast of the terrible ones is as a storm against the wall. Thou shalt bring down the noise of strangers as the heat in a dry place, even the heat with the shadow of a cloud, the branch of the terrible one shall be brought low. And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all people and the veil that is spread over all nations." He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Hear these words of the gospel from the New Testament. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. 
For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which, after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of much value than many sparrows. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. And when they bring you into the synagogues and unto magistrates and powers, take you no thought how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what ye ought to say. May God bless this reading of his holy word. The year was 1965. I picked up a copy of Time magazine, and the cover, apart from the name Time magazine, was totally black. And on that stark black cover, in bright red letters, was this stark message, God is dead. Inside the cover article told, J.J. Altizer, a professor at Atlanta's Emory University, had just published a theological dissertation asserting that God had died. I got hold of all the materials I could find about his writings, the things that he had said, and then I did a critique in our church's parish paper. Someone sent Dr. Altizer a copy of that parish paper. And a few days later, I received a handwritten letter from Dr. Altizer. He concluded with these words. I do believe that God has died. How bad it would be for the world if God were to die. How bad it would be for us if God were to fade out of our lives. Many of us live as though God had died. Far more of us live with God having simply faded out of our lives. We have the commandments to live by. Thou shalt have no other God before me, 
says God? And how many gods do we find in our national lives, in our social lives, in our family lives? What are the real gods in our individual lives? Have we broken the commandment already? Thou shalt not steal. We have a national problem, a national problem of stealing. And we've long since quit censuring, but affirming as a national way of life, getting what you can from whomever you can. Bit by bit, we see God fading out of our national life, out of our community life, and so often out of our own family lives. He might as well be dead if he's faded out. But God has not faded from the world. Last week's Time magazine portrayed the teeming masses of Russians flooding back into the churches that have been closed since 1917. Communism thought they could destroy religion in their society. To be a good member of the Communist Party, one had to declare himself an atheist. And over these years of living underground, the Christian faith has prospered. And now that the doors are open, the people are flooding in to be a part of worship. And in Africa, the story is the same. And in Korea, the story is the same. And in China, we see a resurgence of faith in God and establishment of religion. And it says something very telling to us. We who have possessed it, take it so lightly that we can easily lose it. God is not dead. God is alive. God is very much alive. God is alive in His creation. Once we portrayed the earth as static, the sky overhead as each star in its place, we know differently now. The entire universe is expanding and growing. New stars are being born daily. The universe is traveling as a moving, living organism. We are standing upon a planet that is hurtling through space, revolving around stars in movement. It's alive. And the universe is under our feet, that which we can't see, reducing it to the size of an atom. We come upon that basic building block of creation, and it's in constant movement and flux. What we see that appears to be static and set, the wood, the stones, all that appears to be dead, is really alive in constant movement within as the atoms create energy and movement within what appears to be a static bit of creation. It's all alive. It's all moving. And God is the one who brought it into being. It is reflective of His mind. The universe is alive with God. History is alive with God. We've been searching on Wednesday evenings to see where God's hand has been in the development of history, and we find it so clearly. The Bible in its beginning, prior to Abraham, before God came to one and said, I will establish a covenant relationship, there was that period of time from the beginning of creation until the time of Abraham that the Bible says God was involved in what took place. He caused the floods to come. 
He reacted against those who built towers to defy him. The stories are told that God cared and remained a part of what he had created. And then he entered into the mind of Abraham and said, from you I will build a great nation of people. God was alive in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was alive in David and Moses. He was alive in Isaiah and Jeremiah. History reflects God alive and active in the building of nations and in the ordering of people's lives. God is alive in history and still is. God is alive in Christ. The most telling statement made by Christ was I am in the Father and the Father is in me. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. God was alive when Christ walked upon the earth and they communicated daily. Jesus went apart for communication with God and He followed the will of the Father in every part of His life. And God is alive in us. If we allow Him to be and He works through us, fulfills His purposes through us, and responds to us when we bring Him our needs and when we offer Him ourselves. God is not dead. God is alive. And if God is alive, we must contend with a living God. We cannot push a God who is far greater than ourselves into the periphery of our lives and expect that we can be blessed and get by with it. God remains God. During the lifetime of Jesus, he was in Jerusalem and he was being queried by the Sadducees. They were trying to trip him up and make him contradict himself. And following one of their questions, Jesus stopped and deliberately stated, God is the God of the living. God is a living God and a God of the living. It's easy for us to project Him into the past. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's what He told Moses on the side of the mountain. He was the God of the past. We relegate Him to the past so readily. He is the God of the patriarchs. He's the God of the Bible times. He's the God of our forefathers, and we sing about it. God of our fathers, whose almighty hand. Oh God, our help in ages past. We speak as though God once was, but no longer is. But Jesus said, God is a God of the living, not of the dead. To be the God of the living in us means we must have a living relationship with Christ. We must enter into a visible relationship with Christ. Make an affirmation of the Lordship of Christ in our lives. It must be a living encounter and not an intellectual encounter. It cannot be a theological encounter. It has to be a personal encounter for God to be alive in us. E. Stanley Jones, one of the great missionaries of our church, reputedly walked around in conversation. And one day when someone asked with whom he was talking, he said, I'm talking to God. 
And his books reflect that he was getting answers in his conversation. To be a living God to a living people, we must have a living encounter. We must live by a living faith, not a dead faith. How often we tell and retell the things of the past, the faith of others, and the faith of our fathers. But what about our present faith? What about the reality of God in our lives so that we can stand upon a vital, firm faith for today and know that there is a living presence undergirding that faith? Our faith to live by must not be a faith out of a textbook, but the faith of a living encounter of God in our lives. We must have a living faith and to have a faith that is alive, we must have expectations. God has promised things that boggle the imagination, and yet we rarely claim them because they seem so far beyond our reach. Repeatedly, we're called upon by the leaders of our nation to enter into a time of prayer when there's a national crisis. We ought to be in an attitude of prayer every day about the crises and the things that are not critical, but a constant sense of expectation of what God can do and what God will do, we must dream big dreams and have a living expectation that they can come true. Most of all, if God is to be a living God in our lives, it must be a living commitment. We all made a commitment at one time in our lives. But is it a daily commitment that we live by, that we live up to? It isn't enough simply to affirm vows of belief and intention, but it must be a matter of living out our commitment so that we do the things that He tells us to do, that every day is a vital encounter with Him. Jesus said, God is not a dead God, and He is not a God of the dead, but He is a living God for living people. And now this. You can't kill God, but you can push Him out of your life. You can't take Him away from reality, but you can make Him fade from consciousness. And if we do that, we've killed him as far as the benefits of living with a God for ourselves is concerned. It's a great day of possibilities with all the awakening nations of the world affirming that God is at the center, how we must reclaim him in our own nation as we face the inner turmoil and the crises that come every day if my people who are called by my name will return, I will bless them. God is alive. Walk with Him as living people. Amen.